welcome to the Head to Heal podcast, where you'll go head over heels learning about how the body and the brain work together to either feed disease or fight it. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist and founder of The Mindful Clinic. With a background in nutrition, behavioral neuropsychology, and hypnosis, I'm going to walk you through the root cause of your symptoms and disordered behaviors. The body has an innate ability to heal. No one is destined for illness, and most, if not all, disorders can be reversed. Come with me as we develop a new understanding of how you can use your head to heal and truly thrive. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Sade, certified holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Mindful Clinic. I want to preface this episode and all future episodes by saying that I am not a medical doctor and you should always seek help from a physician before beginning any new health regime. I also want to preface this episode by saying that there's going to be some major trigger warnings. <laughs> and so I'm actually here with one of my beautiful, beautiful past clients and now one of my best friends. <laughs> and I'm so excited to talk to Victoria. And before we get into your story, your situation, again, I just want a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about sexual assault. We're going to be talking about eating disorders and some other shit and addiction. And probably so if anything else comes up, you've been warned. How's it going? <laughs> Hi, Jordana. Hi, everybody. I am, yes, like Jordana said, a previous client. Now she's literally one of my best friends and I love her so much. I also have a podcast of my own. It's called Victories with Victoria. I coached a little bit before that. And now I'm 36 weeks this weekend, Jordana. So I'm about to pop a baby out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for you. Yes, Victoria is so pregnant and I'll never forget the day she told me it was like one of the best days of my whole entire life. It was right (laughs) when we finished our coaching and like, it was hilarious because she'd been doing so well. Like, and I mean, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of this, but Victoria and I worked for six months together. She was like my best friend for six months over a boxer talking every single day. And right at the end of our like coaching together, she went into this like spiral. Like she's mm-hmm. like crying, like throwing an adult tantrum. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm like trying to support her. I'm like, where is this coming from? And then literally the next day she's like, psych, I'm pregnant. She's <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. I know. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. I was in like my third month of my detox and I remember voxering her. I texted her and I was like, Hey, do any of these supplements, can any of these supplements give you a false positive? And you were like, no. And then you were like, what's going on? Tell me right now. And I was like, and I sent you like a picture of like all three of my birth control tests. And I was like, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> so crazy. It was on my birthday. It was on my birthday, September 6th. Yeah. It was crazy. September babies. I was so happy. Okay. Then without any further ado, I want to hear about your story, your story. Like it really impacted me, which is I think why we became such good friends. And uh, I work with a lot of people who have had really traumatic experiences. It's part of what I do works, I think, because we actually address like the inner stuff, but your story. And like, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits and I'm amazed by you. You are such an incredibly strong woman. I couldn't even imagine having going through everything that you've been through in your life. And you're just like one of the most kick-ass people I've ever met. And so I really want you to share with my community, like, what's your story? Like, how did you end up here? Yeah. I think it has to start from literally like pre-verbal. I want to start there because I didn't realize how impactful trauma can be even inside of the womb. So my mom immigrated to the States from Vietnam when she was 19, 20 years old. 
And by the time she got pregnant with me, I think she was like 20 or 21, but she got pregnant with me with a partner who was not a very good guy. He abused her physically while I was still in her belly, in her womb. And then he dipped out pretty early on. I think by the time I was three months, he wasn't around anymore. So I grew up without my biological dad. My mom struggled a lot, not just with like finances, but with just adjusting to the culture here. She didn't speak English. So I really took on the role of being kind of like the head of the household in that sense. I translated every document. I went to every appointment. I took care of her. I I really became her mom in some sense. And I didn't, I, I always say this, but it makes me really sad to think about, but I don't think I really had a childhood because I had to be an adult so early on. So meanwhile, I'm going through all of that. I also have a younger sister that I'm taking care of, but all of this is happening while I'm being sexually abused. And it was so terrifying for me to ever talk about it, tell any adult about it. And the fucked up part is that I was too scared to say anything because I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to be another problem my mom had to deal with. It wasn't like my abuser sat me down and was like, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. But it was just the fact that I just didn't want to be another issue my mom had to take on. And that comes from being so young and seeing all the stress that she was going through. And my abuse started really, really early. One of my first memories as a kid was being abused, like one of my very, very first memories. And it impacted my nervous system in such a big way. I don't think I could ever really wrap my mind around it. I did once I started working with you, but before then I just didn't know what was going on in my little body. So meanwhile, this is happening in the background, just happening like almost every weekend from the ages of like three to maybe 10. My mom is going through her really toxic relationships. I'm watching her like physically get into fistfights with her partners and she disciplined me. And I have to admit, like, there were times when she, you know, overstepped and, you know, her physical discipline was borderline abuse as well. And it was really hard for me to grapple with and even admit to that for a long time because I love my mom so much. And as much as she's fucked up, she's still my mom. But I have to, right? And we have to acknowledge that so that we can work through that trauma and work to heal our nervous system. But this all led to a life long eating disorder. And it went from binge eating, emotional eating, to binging and purging, to just completely starving myself at some points. And then when I finally got my hands on drugs, by the time I was 14, I was smoking weed. And that became part of it too. So it's not like the eating disorder went away. It just became, you know, in partnership with the drug abuse. And yeah, and there was points in my early 20s when I was addicted to cocaine, when I was addicted to Adderall, when I was addicted to Xanax, which led me into a really deep, deep, deep depression. I might've looked really good. Like I might've like been really thin and, you know, had a lot of attention, but I was so broken inside. I was so alone. And I don't think talk therapy would have helped me because, well, it did, it did, it did to some extent, like to some extent, it helped me just understand that it's okay to have emotions, but regulating my nervous system was the number one thing that helped me get to the point I am today. 
but it didn't come easy. There were many nights and many days when I was sitting there bawling my eyes out. It was a very difficult, the most difficult and the most rewarding six months of my life when I was working with you. (laughs) But, you know, I am who I am today because of it. And I really attribute so much of my peace, my sanity, just everything of who I am today to you. And I know it's probably like, you know, I might exaggerate a little bit. It sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm really not. So that's where I am. Sick. Yeah. Well, thank you. But it is you really that did the work, right? Like I just facilitate the process. And I will say that there are some people who are just literally not ready, nor do they want to do the work. Like when I'm fighting over somebody, not fighting, but when people are like, oh, I can't afford $300 a month or something like, like, I'm like, I get it. Like not everybody's in a financial position, but like, this isn't just like a take a pill and you're going to lose the weight type of situation. This is like, why do you have the motivation and behavioral patterns to self-sabotage? Like, let's talk about that so you can stop doing it. And that's when all of the stuff kind of pops up because in our intake session, like we didn't talk about any of that. Right. And then as we're unpacking, getting deeper, getting deeper, like all of this stuff is coming up. We definitely talked about the eating disorder because that's what I do. But anyways, thank you so much for sharing that like hearing you say it in just such an eloquent way and being able to really talk about these really difficult things it was so well done the way that you described that and like the timeline that you just took us through and being able to do that takes a lot of strength and so it's very clear even just you sitting here talking about everything that's happened it's very clear that with me, without me, like you have done so much work on this and I'm so, so proud of you. And if anybody's listening to this, who has anywhere near a similar situation, like, I just want you to know, like it is possible to feel that peace. It is possible to feel that. And Victoria is probably a good person to go to for that or to talk to at least, but I want to kind of go back a little bit if, if you're okay with it. Yeah. Okay. So the mama stuff, like the mother wound stuff is like, oof, that's really strong. <laughs> like, wow. And so talk to me a little bit about how, cause I'm from immigrant parents too. Right. And so, and I know like, there's so much hustle culture there. Like uh, our parents grew up in places where like there was food scarcity. And so when we come here and you know, there is an abundance of food, like we are the generationally, our parents just passed down that stuff to us. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that scarcity kind of looked like from a food perspective in your household, or maybe some of the tendencies that you picked up in those earlier years? Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because my partner now is, I think, third or fourth generation Asian. So that means that his great grandma was born outside of the States, right? Which means like their family's pretty Americanized, although they still have like Asian roots. But the difference in their household, so my mom will go to the market and she will go almost every day or every other day and get what she needs to cook for that day. So most of the time there isn't like any stockpiled foods in the house or anything like that. Whereas his house, it looks like almost like a, <laughs> like, a mini Costco or like a mini, you know what I mean? Like there's just like all this stuff kind of stockpiled. So, and that's very similar to what it's like in Vietnam. Like you go to the market and you get what you want for like the day and then you cook for like that day. Like you might have like some snacks and stuff, but in my home, like in my house growing up, we didn't have food around really in our fridge or in our cupboards or anything like that, unless my mom was going to cook. And part of that is cultural, but a lot of that also was because she was a single mom and she was working a lot and she was going through her own mental health, like crisis and you know issues and things like that. So it would be me and my sister in the house on her own. And I know there's like this like joke that goes around the internet sometimes about like syrup sandwiches, but I literally ate syrup sandwiches at one point in my life because that's all that was in the house. So when she did go to the store and she did buy food, we would just 
inhale it because we didn't have like all of these snacks and like this hot pockets or pizza rolls or whatever it is. So when she did buy stuff like that, we would eat all of it all at once and it would piss her off. And she would just be like, oh, like, this is why I don't buy this stuff, blah, 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 blah. But, but yeah, that's what food scarcity looked like for us growing up. And we got really creative. We got really creative with making eggs. I know how to make eggs like a million different ways, all these things. And then when I, you know, grew into like adulthood or like got my own place, I also felt really uncomfortable when I bought too much food, quote unquote, too much food, even though it was just food, right? That I would try to eat it down to a certain amount that I was comfortable with. And that's where like the nervous system starts coming in. And that's what you taught me. It was like, your nervous system is comfortable with this much. So you're going to always reset to that amount. But yeah, that's what it was like. Yeah. It's so powerful. And that is actually something that I cannot relate to at all because my mom like was addicted to cooking. So like there was so much food in our household, her tendencies towards those food was in scarcity mode. It's like, there's never enough. So we got to make more, but I couldn't even imagine being that young, having to take care of your sister and having to provide like basic needs. Like Mm -hmm. when we look at human beings, like the most important psychological theory that governs human behavior is attachment, right? Because without attachment, we don't have basic needs. And so not only do you not have attachment, but you also don't have basic needs. And so this like, that is very scary for the nervous system. And then like pile sexual abuse and like something that's like literally so traumatic on top of all that. It's like, of course you develop some form of like disorder that would help your brain to feel temporarily safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what was going on. For so long, I just didn't register that I had like an issue with food. You know, I just thought that it was just how I was. So yeah, yeah, but you're, you're right on, the, on that, like just everything compiling and everything kind of compressing on a little human, it's a lot. Yeah, so let's actually talk about that then. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. you were, so for a long time, you didn't realize you had an issue with food, right? So let me just see if I've got this straight. So obviously- there's like a lot of overconsumption when the food's available because that's when it's available and you're like, yes, I want it, right? And then you go into high school and you start dabbling with substances. Like at that point, were you self-conscious of your body? Like was there body image dysmorphia kind of attached to all of this? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think body dysmorphia started with me when I was like five. Like, you know what I mean? It was already something that my mom commented on for so long and it's like and it's like a running joke like yeah asian parents like they're just so straightforward they just tell you whatever they think and it's like yeah but it's also like really irresponsible when you think about it it's like a norm like culturally but it shouldn't be normalized right and that's something that i'm carrying with me into my parenting journey is not commenting on my child's body you know at five years old i shouldn't be acutely aware of how big my stomach is or how fat my face is or how my hair looks or anything like that and i think it's a lot worse because you know i'm a Right. And I know I noticed with like my boy cousin, it was never a thing. So I I know you talk about this sometimes, Jordana, is like about how your mom always called you like thunder thighs. My mom always called me big belly. So by the time I was like, I think 10, I learned how to suck in my stomach. And I just kept it sucked in up until like I was like, <laughs> like 28 years old. It was just like an unconscious thing that I did because I didn't want to be called big belly, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Like by the time I got to high school, it was way worse. And I look back at my pictures and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, you know, like I thought I was huge, right? But I mean, of course, like it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it just matters like how you feel by yourself. But it's just like, yeah, it's incredible how trapped and how alone and how 
scared you can feel within your body and yeah and like the way i processed that and the way i projected that was just honestly being a fucking bitch like i was so mean to everybody like i was so so mean to everybody and if i wasn't being like mean or like vindictive then i was i was fucked up on some type of substance you know but yeah yeah that's how i would describe that yeah yeah and so you were saying that you weren't sure like you didn't know that you had an eating disorder so like what were those like eating tendencies that were happening that you didn't realize and then like when did you realize you had an eating disorder when I was little, I would eat all the time. I would eat when I wasn't hungry and I would eat, 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 eat until my mom, she would say like, oh my God, stop eating. Your belly is going to break. Your belly is going to explode, but explode, but I couldn't stop. And that's even at like six, seven, eight years old. Oh, and I just eat, 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 oh. eat. Because like the, the fuller I got, the less sensation I felt of the anxiety. I can understand that concept now, but being a six, seven year old, you don't know what's going on. Your brain is just telling you to do something to cope in some way to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really ugly because of how food scarcity mindset I was in. Like I felt like there was never going to be enough for me to feel fulfilled. So I would like fight with my sisters about over food and want to eat their food. And I would do it with my cousins, you know, and I would always try to be first in line and get all the food. And like this just like created this identity around like me being like the fat girl. So that carried on until high school as well. And by the time I started smoking weed, I was like just chalking it up to the fact that I was high. So I had the munchies and I would binge and binge and binge and binge. But I, I didn't purge at this at, the, at this point yet. I think until like my early 20s was when the purging started happening because it just happened like, you know, in conjunction with like taking drugs and feeling nauseous and stuff like that. I didn't realize I had an eating disorder before I started working with you. Really? Whoa. Yeah. It was in the background, like I, it was happening for me, but it was like some type of ego thing or something. I could not bring myself to be like, you have an eating disorder, Victoria. Like yeah. there's something wrong with the way that you eat. I just thought that I need to get thin. I need to be on a diet. Like there's something wrong with my body. Like, you know, something wrong with like my self-control, but I didn't associate that with eating disorder because yeah. eating disorder to me meant that there was actually something wrong with me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, until it got so bad that yeah that like one day my chest literally tightened up and i could have sworn like my heart stopped when i was like purging and i was like okay there's something going on here and i need help because in a millisecond something really bad could happen and that's when i started to seek help yeah oh i know i'm so fucking glad you're not in that space anymore but i also really resonate with you not knowing that you had an eating disorder because I, when I was in university, I would obviously at this point, I was already using drugs to like keep my weight down. But it's so interesting how like, when we don't eat at that point in my life, when I didn't eat, because I just thought like, well, I need to be thin. I didn't perceive it as an eating disorder for some reason. I didn't see it as an eating disorder at all. I was actually like, I have control over my eating. And so all through university, like I was addicted to cocaine. And so then I was like, well, I'm just not hungry. Like I'm fucking high and I'd rather have cocaine. And then I lived with one of my best friends now and she had an eating disorder. She was like hospitalized when she was a kid, but she was out of the eating disorder by the time we moved in together. And she was the one who called it out. Like she was like, Jordan, I think you have an eating disorder. And I was like, I don't like, I was like, so I was like, how dare you? Like, how do you dare? Like, I do not have an eating disorder. And then it literally took years, like well after I was a nutritionist, well, well, well after for me to be like, oh, like I do have an eating disorder. And for a really long time, I didn't talk about that on like my socials or whatever. Like I was working as a nutritionist. And I remember the first day that I talked about it on my stories and I was 
terrified because at that point, my Instagram was mostly family and friends, right? And I was so embarrassed and like mortified. But I feel like that moment that you recognize what's going on and you admit to it, like that's when the healing can begin. And I see that too with my clients where some clients are, oh no, I just want to lose weight. And I'm like, but do you have an eat? Like, do you overeat? And they're like, well, sometimes, but like, I'm not a binge eater. And I'm like, well, like, well, well, like tell me what the difference is, you know? But anyways, thank you so much. And I actually totally resonate with that. So yeah. I, yeah, I just want to say like, even when I started working with you, I mean, I knew that that was what was going on, but I would still say disordered eating before I would say I have an eating disorder. So it's why I totally understand. And then then I had, I think in high school, I had a, an an exchange student and she was from France and she was gorgeous. And she came out to me, like when we were like 16 and she was like, yeah, you know, like I have an eating disorder and like blah, 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 blah. And so I associated like, if you could control your eating or like to me, like eating disorder was almost like, oh, you can control your eating to the point where you look so good. I don't look like that. So I don't have an eating disorder. Isn't that so fucked up that we think that or like, I thought like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So in like, honestly, this doesn't need to be like an expert opinion because I know you've done a lot of like coaching and work on this, but I just want to know, like, how do you feel that an event like sexual assault, like I have so many clients who have been sexually abused. It's like one of the few things that will lead to a disorder of some sorts. It's usually an eating disorder because it's so related to your appearance. But how do you feel that that event, like that experience, like correlates to the disordered eating? Yeah. You know, I feel like it correlates to everything in my life that was me finding a coping mechanism. So I think it directly relates to the eating disorder. I think it directly relates to the, you know, drug use. I think it directly relates to, you know, my anger problems, whatever it was. But I think the only way really to get to the other side is really through it, which is the most terrifying thing you can ever do. Have you ever been through sexual abuse or sexual assault? Because that means you're sitting with this version of yourself that is extremely vulnerable that you probably have hid from yourself for so long. And to soothe that version of yourself like openly and super raw like in a raw way right because when we start you know eating things that are like really like satiable and filled with salt and sugar and things like that like it really it floods our system and our senses so much that we don't feel anything but to really just sit with that little girl or little boy version of yourself or little whatever and be this version of yourself now to be there for her, I think was the most impactful thing. And that was just healing, like, you know, my inner child. And it was so scary. It was so scary to do. I just remember there was a day or a night and I was like on, like I vividly remember I was like on my floor, like on my carpet in my apartment. And I'm just like bawling and I'm like voxering you. And I'm like, Jordana, like, I don't know. Like, I just can't. And I just, it felt like the little girl was like there and I wasn't there at all. And she just needed so much attention and so much love. And, uh, and if it was old me, I would have gotten up and gone to the kitchen, found some snacks, turned on the TV and just started stuffing my face, right? Stuffing my face until I couldn't feel it anymore. Maybe like smoke some weed or had like a drink and went to sleep or something. But I just sat there and I just let it like, really work itself out and not to say like that's like one time and it's gonna work right you have to constantly do that and i still do that to this day like there's so many nights where i'm like 
okay, okay. You know, like memories start coming back. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it fully does. Hi, babes. I am literally so excited to talk to you about the launch of my new program, The Mindful Method. This is the exact same method that I have been using for half a decade with my private clients on helping them to heal their relationship to food, to increase confidence, and to lose weight without dieting. If you are sick of not feeling like your best self, if you're sick of promising yourself that on Monday you're going to get your shit together and start again, and if you keep going on restrictive diets and you continue to regain the weight back, let me tell you something, honey. It did not work. Diets have a 98% fail rate. And you already know what's healthy and what's not healthy. You just continue to choose the unhealthy option and continue to sabotage your success. A meal plan is not going to solve this issue. Stop addressing the body with restrictive diets and crazy exercise programs and start transforming the brain so your behaviors can match your desired goals. If you are ready to stop overeating, if you are ready to feel comfortable in your skin, if you're ready to look in the mirror and love what you see, and if you're ready to lose the weight for good, I invite you to fill out the application in my bio. And if you're a good fit, we'll be in touch soon. I am so excited for you. Back to regular programming. I think that ultimately it really comes down to, you know, you said when you were on that floor, if it was like old version of yourself, you would have just like gone to the fridge and stuffed your face. But the thing is, is like, I don't even know that the old version of yourself would have let yourself get on the floor for that reason. Right. Like it would have been like a trigger in a different way. Like you would have gotten into a fight with somebody or something because some of these emotions, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but this is what I see. But some of these emotions we just repress for so long that we're like, why am I such a bitch all the time? <laughs> I'm like, why can't I stop eating? Right. And we like start addressing, well, like I should be nicer. And then there's guilt around like being a bitch and like, or I should just like control my eating more. But like, we're not really getting to like the underlying thing that's like actually kind of like running the show here. And I think that this really just highlights like such a beautiful human tendency that like, it is really difficult to sit in that discomfort. And when I talk to my clients, not just around this topic, but like, even when I say, okay, get a bite of your, like your favorite cookies and Oreo. Amazing. Let's have one bite. And then I just want you to hold it in your hand. And I don't want you to take another one. I have clients who are Mm -hmm. like, Mm-hmm. I can't do like, they're terrified. They get aggressive about it because what's going to happen is like all these emotions are going to flood up in your body and it's going to feel really uncomfortable if you don't put the Oreo back in your mouth, right? And until you put the Oreo back in the mouth, there's going to be this discomfort. But if we sit with that discomfort, if we really sit with the discomfort that's coming up in our bodies, whether we're taking another bite of a cookie or we're sitting with that like six-year-old child who wasn't given the love, care, attention, or like respect, like was like literally exposed in such an inhumane way. If we sit there in that discomfort with her, like, of course, it's going to be emotional. Of course. Right. And there are only really two options when it comes to really dealing with this type of work. It's like, we can repress it, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's a reason why the brain does that, right. It's to protect you. So we can, you know, push it back or we can fucking sit in it and face it. Right. Or we can use a coping mechanism and turn it off, which is very similar to repressing it. But I just think that it really just highlights this beautiful 
human tendency that the brain has to want to protect you from reliving these experiences that wants to protect you from having to go back there or anything like that. And that's why when I look at a client who's like, I just can't stop eating. I'm not like, well, there's something wrong. I'm like, thank God your brain developed this coping mechanism. Like, thank God, this is your brain being like, I want to keep you safe. Right. It's just that that's not the way to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right, like when the memories start coming up and like we want to suppress it and it's almost like being acute, like being like super aware of where you are in the present, right? Like coming back and being like, okay, like I'm safe, I'm safe and pushing through that. And then it's going to like, you know, those emotions are going to come back up again because we're so used to like suppressing. And I was so used to suppressing it with food, drugs, like sex, anything that you can think of. Like I would just flood my brain with those thoughts, you know, just in place of it. So when I started doing the work with you, old memories really did come up, right? Because my brain for the first time in my life was not completely just drowning in all these other substances i went into a store i think it was Ulta or sephora you know like one of those stores where like i always get something and i remember going in walking around and then walking right back out and i didn't spend i didn't buy anything because i didn't eat anything and i remember being like oh my fucking god who is this person <laughs> you know and it was like whoa you know, and then like that self-efficacy that you talk about so much starts building up. So then you start feeling like, I can do this. I can do this. And then when like the next meal comes, you're understanding like, oh, I can just eat until I'm full. I don't have to eat past that point. Just like I don't have to go to the store and buy something just to buy something, just to feel that rush, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so difficult in my practice, not difficult, but like, it's just, there's a lot of like components to this, right? Like we can look at it from a neuroscience perspective where we're like, okay, the brain is wired for dopamine. And like dopamine is the molecule of more. And the more we engage in dopaminergic activities, the more dopamine we're going to release, the more dopamine we're going to want. And then we can look at it from the psychological perspective where it's like, okay, this is a coping mechanism where we're trying to turn off like negative emotions and deal with the trauma and all that stuff. Um, And we can look at it from like a behavioral perspective too, where it's like we've developed a habit, right? It's like sometimes there is no traumatic event running in the background. There is no emotion that's in the background. We just like wake up and we're like, I'm just, today's a write-off. I'm just going to binge eat all day, right? And so there is so many components and ways that we can like look at it. But ultimately, once we start building up that self-efficacy, I saw you build up that self-efficacy. So many other things are so much easier because then you can really see like, hey, I'm not that like, nine-year-old little girl who has to fight for food anymore. Like there's an abundance of food and I can learn to stop and I'm not in danger. And it really takes intentional work, I think, to actually get to that place. Yeah. Intentional work is definitely the key words here because if you have been abused, if you have been assaulted, and I mean, I I don't want to demean like just physical abuse or physical assault, but sexual abuse is so charged. It's so charged in your body that like, there's so much shame around it, right? There's so much shame around it. So I think having an eating disorder literally disconnected my brain from my body. It just completely disconnected my brain from my body. And I think that's how I coped with it. But, but yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. I just, I just really wanted to say that and and like acknowledge anybody that's listening to this that has gone through that being intentional. I want to kind of talk a little bit about that shame because I've never experienced sexual assault. So when I'm working with clients who have, like, I know what it's doing to the brain. I know how awful that must be. But personally, when I think about from the outside, of course, when I think about like what emotions you might feel in those moments, 
Like, I'm like, how could you feel shameful? It's the other person that should feel shameful. Like you've done nothing wrong. And so I just, can you just talk a little bit about what that's like and where that shame comes from? Yeah, I definitely can. And again, I just want to remind anybody this, if you feel triggered, please take care of yourself. So like I said, my mom disciplined me physically as well. And there were times when I really want to say it was, you know, pushing that border, pushing that boundary where it's overstepping into like abuse. And it's even hard for me to say, cause I, again, like I love her so much, but I'm more open to talk about that, like getting physically abused than getting sexually abused. Because if you just think about the two situations, right? When you get your ass whooped by your mom, like she's doing it out in the open. My sisters can see it. Like it's something that I can go to school and talk to people about and be like, oh, did your mom beat your ass too? Or like, it was like a norm for, for me growing up. When you think about sexual abuse and you think about how it even happens, it's somebody taking you into a dark place, telling you to not tell anybody. It's a very hush-hush thing. Nobody is supposed to know. And for me, it happened so early on that it already made me feel like unworthy in so many ways. And it made me feel so scared and closeted because if you're three, four years old and if you only know like just sensory things, right? Like my mom giving me like a whooping or like a spanking, but that's like out in the living room. Like I know like people can see it and it's like people talk about it. Like my uncles and aunties would talk about it, right? But getting sexually abused is somebody that's like luring you or like forcing you into a place where there's nobody else and it's just you and them and nobody ever talks about it. So there's already that like, understanding from such a young age that like one is open and one is closed i mean they're again equally as bad and i and i've experienced both but for me you know i think just feeling like it was secretive and it was not to be talked about because no one did talk about it made it feel extra shameful especially because as i grew into like my teenage years and i started feeling like hormonal and i started like hitting puberty and like i started feeling sexual i immediately associated that with my sexual abuse i guess like once i started like dating and I had toxic relationships and i would get like physical like i would get mad and i'll throw things and i can connect that back to like when you know growing up with just being physical in the household but again when you're growing into like this body of yours and you're trying to understand your body period but your first like connection with your sexual organs or your sexuality is sexual abuse that could feel extra shameful as well yeah wow thank you so much for taking us through that because i also i was like so ignorant to it i'm like i don't understand but and i can tell even just because i know you like that it's hard to talk about that like and so I'm just so grateful and, and thank you so much for sharing. And I'm sure my audience is also feeling the same way and like wants to just come and like, oh, like give me the biggest hug because you're the sweetest ever. And like no one fucking deserves that, of course. Uh, yeah. But it is really interesting to the connection you made about, you know, like when you're going through puberty and like when you're exploring, because in my household, not trying to compare my situation to yours, but like I, nobody ever talked to me about sex. Like sex was this like really taboo, 
awful thing. And so I remember I literally, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this on my podcast, but like, because it's, this is such a shameful memory, but, and see, I said shameful and it's about something mm-hmm. shameful, but mm-hmm. it, it, I didn't do anything wrong. But anyways, I remember like I was on a cruise with my mom and I was really young. Like it was just me and her. And I was like naked. I had just taken a shower and I was just like touching myself. Like I wasn't like masturbating. I didn't even know what masturbating was. Like I was really, really young. And at that time in my life, like I was obsessed with straightening my hair. I honestly, I must've been like eight years old. Like, cause I just wanted to look like Britney Spears and I would never, never have the body nor the hair. But anyways. And so I was like naked on the bed and I was just like touching and my mom fucking lost her shit. Like she lost it. And I was so confused. And she took my straightener and she threw it off the cruise ship. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Like, I was just so confused. And later on, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, she thought I was masturbating. But like the reason why I'm talking to you guys about this is because I actually haven't even talked to a therapist about this. It just came up literally the other day. And I remember that. And I was like, wow, I felt so shameful for that for so many years. There's so much like shame and whatever around like sexuality and like being in touch with like who I am and being feminine and having sex and being okay with that. And I've seen just how that one experience has impacted my sexuality, my relationships. And so I couldn't even imagine when something that is so pure and like you're so innocent at that time when it's just taken advantage of, of how that is really going to impact like the way that you view something that is like innately human to do. Like reproduction is like one of our like basic needs, like we are designed to reproduce. And so I could only imagine when it's turned into something like so shameful like that, what kind of impact that has, even from a like basic needs perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. And I mean, now we know, right? Like now we're in in the generation of like understanding psychology and things like that. And like encouraging children to be okay with those things, you know, but still like in a lot of cultures, like, I mean, besides like just the abuse, like with my mom too, like if we did anything kind of weird with our bodies, she'd be like, oh my God, stop, don't do that. Like, you know, there was always like a like, you know, like just don't, like it was just very, and it made me like scared to do anything like that. Like, or like to even express it around her, let alone tell her about like sexual abuse, right? Yeah. And it's it's funny because this past week I've been around some nephews and one of them is like six years old and he's like on the floor on his iPad and he's like humping the ground, right? And like some people are and like, oh my God, why is he? <laughs> yeah, he's like humping the ground. And I'm like, it's okay. Like you're just doing things. You're just exploring your body. It's okay. Like you go ahead. Just don't do it at school. Like, you know, like, yeah. don't do it. Like, you know, like in front of like, but it's, it's completely fine. And I'm like so proud of myself for being okay with that because honestly it did make me uncomfortable because it reminded me of being sexually abused as a child right but at the same time i'm like so i'm so healed no but i'm very like i'm in a better place in my life so i'm like oh and i have to be the adult in the in the situation where i can give him permission to say it's okay you know but yeah absolutely a lot of us definitely feel shame around that yeah well thanks that this like totally took a turn but i'm so glad it did yeah we're having a baby super soon like you could literally go into labor like any minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's crazy. <laughs> so now that you've obviously like come out the other side and I'm not saying that like anyone's ever fully healed, like I'm sure shit not. I know that there's like always healing to do, but now that you've come out the other side, like what are some things that like maybe we can, it doesn't need to be like specific to eating though. I'd love for you to touch on that. But like, what are some things that like you are going to do differently with your kids now that you've learned about like how all of this goes down 
Yeah, so much, Jordana. Like literally everything from commenting on how they look to forcing them to finish their food to obviously like, I mean, not obviously, like everyone has different opinions, but I'm not going to like give my kids spankings because I honestly don't think it's it works. But yeah, I mean, me and my partner were talking about the other day and he just like, well, he better finish his food. Like, And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, no, 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 no. He can eat as much as he wants and then he can like leave the rest behind. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to do that. And there's so much. But again, I, I think it's a little different for me because I feel like I wasn't prepared that I was going to have a boy. So I'm still like trying to figure out what that's going to be like. But I feel like it's kind of the same. So I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely going to look towards you for a lot of advice because mm-hmm. you obviously like raise an amazing little man. Yeah, I think it really is. It's like... Yeah. From a parenting perspective, obviously, like I would never leave my kids with somebody I don't trust. Like that, like we're not even going to get into the fact that like we're not going to repeat that issue. Like there's never going to be a moment where, hopefully, God forbid, like they're ever going to be in in such a traumatic situation where there is going to be sexual assault. But even just from like a parenting perspective and how you don't fuck up your kids when like they do something that you do want to like I sometimes I look at racer and I want to literally beat the shit out of them like and I know Chris (laughs) does too like I know that Mm -hmm. like Chris more than me (laughs) especially when they're just like talking back or whatever like it takes everything in my power not to turn into my parents where I'm like go to your room or like isolate them because they don't need that like really all any child ever needs is to feel safe and to feel heard and kids don't have the emotional regulation like their brain literally doesn't know how to regulate they learn how to emotionally regulate based on their parents ability to emotionally regulate right and so when they're pushing your buttons what they're looking for is how do you respond to that because that's how Mm -hmm. they're going to learn to respond to themselves when they feel really big emotions and so just based off of like obviously love your mom like i know you love your mom and i love my mom too and so it's not to blame your mom at all right but to understand how you grew up and to watch that it's, I mean, it's not shocking that you didn't know how to emotionally regulate based on everything that you went through. So your brain just developed this like amazing coping mechanism to literally physically turn off that dysregulation. Like that's what food does. That's what substances do. It like you take the substance and it just regulates you temporarily. Right. And then we get addicted to that like temporary regulation. And so this whole conversation has just been so eye opening for me and hopefully for my listeners who have been through like different types of trauma and now use unhealthy coping mechanisms and how we can kind of move through that. So I love you very much. (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for today. I appreciate it so much. And like I said at the beginning, I was like, oh my God, Jordana, I feel like I'm going to really open up so much more on your podcast. I mean, not your podcast, but just around you. And that's exactly what happened. I'm so grateful you held this space for me. I feel so safe. And I know your listeners are a lot like me. So I hope they take something away from this as well. I love you so much. (laughs) I know that you are not currently coaching and, or maybe not coaching at all after baby comes and that's fine, but you do have an amazing podcast and I'm sure my listeners are dying to just be in your energy because you're amazing. So can you just tell everybody where they can find you? And if there's anything else you want to say to the community? Yeah, I have a podcast. It's called Victories of Victoria. Jordana will probably link all the links below. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. I talk to myself a lot on it. And then I have some guests. But overall, it's just about stuff like this. And it's really good. I curse a lot and I say whatever the fuck I want. But it's definitely a safe space. And I encourage you all to go listen to it and check it out.
Yay. Thank you. I love, 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 love you. Thank you so, so much for being (laughs) here. I really appreciate it. I know it's like not easy to talk about this stuff, but I'm so grateful that you felt comfortable enough to do so because I know just so many people are going to find this so healing and so valuable. So thank you so much, Vic. I love you. No problem. Thank you, Jordana. Bye, babe. Bye. And for everybody else listening, if you like this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe. And I'll see you on another episode of the Head to Heal podcast. Bye.